Tis the season for runners with the holidays right around the corner. Whether you're shopping for your favorite runner in your life or want to treat yourself, Running Warehouse has got you covered with their official 2023 holiday gift guide. Of course, we've got opinions too. Gooder sunglasses are always a go-to for us. They come in endless design options and are something that runners will never argue about having multiple pairs of. The Naked Band isn't just a gift, it's a life changer for the way it lets runners take all things on the run while making it compact and completely unobtrusive. Finally, you've got to go search for the CLA Holiday Cap and Iconic Athletics Folia Color. It's amazing and we love that it exists. New from our favorite headgear company, this hat is both perfect for dead of winter runs and your next Christmas story party all at once. Head over to Running Warehouse's Holiday Gift Guide to check out all this stuff and more. Visit the link in our description or run straight to runningwarehouse.com today. Hello, and welcome to the Doctors of Running podcast, where we, a group of doctors of physical therapy, discuss the art and the science of the stuff that we're putting on our feet. I'm Andrea Myers, and today I've got Megan Flynn with me, and we're here to talk about post-marathon recovery and base training. How are you doing, Megan? I'm good. Thank you. How about you, Andrea? I'm good. Um, This episode was actually inspired by one of my PT friends who ran the Hartford Marathon in October, and she said it would be great if we did an episode on this topic, and I agreed. So here we are. Here's your episode, Laura Summers. Thanks for the idea. Um, So let's start with our subjective question. So our subjective for this week is how do you recover from a season of training and racing? What are the things that you really focus on doing that are important to help you recover, not only physically, but mentally? So Megan, you want to answer that question just briefly? I mean, we're basically answering it the whole episode. so (laughs) That's true. I guess... um... So I think the number one thing after a full season of training, racing, is to give yourself a break from from running, biking, whatever um, whatever you're training for. I usually tell my athletes to take like 10 days to two weeks and don't even think about running if you don't want to. Like just wake up, do what you need to do, anything like on your to-do list that you usually push off because of training or anything. Um, and then after that, kind of reflect on on how the season went, any positives, any takeaways, anything you would change going forward. But I do think it's important mentally and physically to just give yourself a complete break. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. Like this week I've, I'm in like a recovery phase right now and I've just been enjoying sleeping in a little bit later and not like rushing to get out the door to do my run. And, you know, weekend now I'm like antsy to get back to running, but that's what you want to get to. Like you want to get that fire back. Whereas, you know, a couple months ago it was like, oh, I'm setting my alarm for 5 a.m. again. I wish I could sleep in. So it's good to have both that physical and mental break for sure. Yeah, that sleeping in is is the best. It <laughs> Not is. having to set your alarm in the in the fives or fours or yes, I know that you do some really early workouts, so I'm yeah. sure it's nice to take a break from that. There were a few days that um, so as the workouts for my previous marathon got longer and longer, my alarm got earlier and earlier, and it got to the point I was like, you know what? I just need to block off the first hour of my day because we're getting into like some ridiculous times of wake up. <laughs> Right. And it's nice that you have the ability to do that, like to flex your schedule so that yeah, your training yeah. <laughs> isn't, you're not out there running at 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> what was the earliest you 
got out I, for I a run this training block. 3.30. Yeah. Oh, no and then way. I was like dead the rest of the day. I was like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. yeah that's <laughs> so <not good laughs> from then on out, I blocked the days I had workouts. I blocked until like nine o'clock, nine, 10 yeah. o'clock some days. Make sure you have time to like do the workout, shower, eat a good meal. Because I noticed I was like grabbing like a quick protein shake and like a bar. I was like, this is not good. <laughs> no, no, definitely, <laughs> definitely not. not good. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say for me, the key is taking that time off, like just not stressing about doing anything. And it also gives you time to focus on the things that maybe you neglected while you were in the middle of marathon training. Like I'm starting to, you know, organize my house and getting stuff ready to like donate to the Salvation Army, stuff that, you know, I just didn't have the energy for when I was, you know, in the thick of marathon training. Um, I definitely make sure that I'm eating enough, going to bed early, you know, all the little things that you do while you're training, you've still got to do while you're recovering because it's actually the recovery period where you actually reap the benefits of all the training you did. That's and true. we'll get more into that later. That's funny you said that. I actually just started going through stuff this morning to donate as well. So it's like, this place is a disaster. <laughs> I need to, yes. I need to organize. Um, but yeah, that's also completely true with like what you do in that recovery time, like in the 10 days, two weeks, whatever you take off in between, uh, in between training blocks, like that's what helps build that consistency, like still taking care of your body, not being like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not running. I don't need to sleep. I don't need to do all this stuff. Like still taking care of yourself because that will pay off in the next training cycle. Absolutely. So let's get into the first part of our episode today, which is what to do post-marathon. And post-marathon recovery really starts the second you cross the finish line. And you really want to do exactly what you would do at the end of a long run. So you want to get that recovery drink with a lot of protein, some carbs in within 30 minutes of finishing. What I do is I just put a packet of recovery drink mix in like the checked bag that I left at bag check. Because you never know what the post-race food is going to be at a race. They don't always have like a good like protein-rich food to take. And you don't always feel like eating that either. Yeah, that's What do you do for after so the race, Megan? I, I do something similar. I'll usually give like either a family member or leave something in the bag, just like a protein recovery drink, just so I have something right after or a protein bar or some sort. Uh, I'll usually... So I know like, at least for me, right when I finish, I'm not usually hungry. So that makes it even harder to get something down. But... I'll usually grab whatever they're handing out at the end just so I have that option because, as you know, like when that hunger hits, you're starving. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I do try to get at least something like high in protein, high carbs uh, down, even electrolytes too because even if you're excellent at taking gels, taking any salt, getting any of the drinks along the course, um, even with all that, your body's probably very depleted on the electrolyte front. Um, and that's what your muscles are going to need to get like fluid in, get water in, uh, for recovery. Um, but yeah, I'll usually at least try to grab whatever they're handing out. Yeah. It'll be, even if you don't eat it right, then it will be good for later when yeah. you are starving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, maybe we should define what is high protein. The recommendation is at least 20 grams of protein. I think kind of the ceiling for that is 40 grams beyond that. It's hard for your body to 
one, digest all of that at once, or two, absorb all of that at once. And most protein recovery mixes do have around 20. There are some that are lower, so you just want to check the label before you buy something. But aim for around that 20-gram mark. Yeah, and some of, the, some of the protein drinks or the protein powders have a pretty decent amount of carbs in there, too. So in one drink, you just drink it, just get it down, and and you kind of, like, cover both of those. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, because for me, like, even after big workouts, I'm not hungry. Just like you said, you're not hungry after the marathon, but you need to get something in but you probably are thirsty. So it's easy just to chug that recovery drink. Now you've gotten, you know, eight to 16 ounce of fluid in, plus maybe 250 to 300 calories, which then buys you time to actually like start feeling hungry to want to eat real food in the next hour or two. And honestly, by the time you make it somewhere that you're going to get food, it's probably been like an hour, hour and a half, just I mean, yep. not moving too quickly after a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> One mile per hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> after um, after our last race or my last race, um, it took me, it took us an hour and a half to get back to the hotel just from like the time where you meet up with family, get your bag, like do whatever you switch your shoes and then finally walk back to the hotel. And then by that point I was starving. I was like, this is perfect timing. Yeah. We'll go. The hotel had food there. So I was like, this is perfect. But yeah, getting something yeah. in before and making sure you have a plan for that in in that right. interim. Because if you get nothing in you in like an hour and a half, you're going to be feeling so much worse the next day. Right. And there is also that, you know, some people call it the glycogen window where your body has a greater ability to absorb carbohydrates within the first 30 to 45 minutes after finishing exercise. So if you wait too long, yes, your body will absorb that, but it has a lower capacity to absorb carbohydrates. So getting that combination of carbs and protein in in that first 30 to 45 minutes is really key to set you up for proper recovery after your race. So then after you, you know, take your recovery drink, get back to the hotel. N the next goal is to find some real food, right? Um, and same thing, you don't want to eat garbage. I mean, you probably will feel like eating garbage, but try to get, again, some carbs, another at least 20 to 40 grams of protein in because that's helping fuel re your recovery too. Yeah, that's true. I, um, I mean, if you think about it, like your body just pushed itself to the limits. It gave you everything it had. Give it the nutrients, the proper nutrition that it needs to like essentially like thank it <laughs> like, yes. for letting you do this pretty awesome thing. Um, <laughs> and honestly, I feel like right after a race, like whatever you're craving, there's probably a reason you're craving it. Like for me, yep. it's usually like a burger and fries. And if you think about it, that has everything you need in it. It has, it's high in protein, obviously um carbs it has fats it's delicious <laughs> yes and lots of salt which yes. you also yeah. need too yep. oh, yeah <laughs> those fries after a marathon there's nothing oh, better than that that's so true <laughs> <laughs> so of course in addition to food you also want to focus on hydration so don't just drink your recovery drink and think you're good you need to stay on drinking Water is okay, but it would be better if you drank like an electrolyte mix, 
because you lost a lot of electrolytes during the race. There's no way to replace one-to-one what you lost during the race, so you're going to be depleted afterwards. There's actually interesting research that the fastest runners actually finish marathons the most dehydrated. Slower runners apparently either do better hydrating during or because the relative intensity of their running is lower compared to someone who's running like a two-hour, 220 marathon. Um, it's the elites who end up the most dehydrated afterwards. So don't think just because you're a fast runner that you are immune to having dehydration. So stay on that water, electrolytes in the days after the race. That's so interesting. I was going to say, I wonder if it's like, because I know a lot of people tend to like carry like water bottles with them if they know mm-hmm. they're going to be out there for a while. But then like yep. the elites get get their own bottles on the table. So that's interesting. Right. Yeah, and I th- I would guess it has more to do with the intensity level of running a you know two hour marathon versus a four hour marathon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, I think one thing that's a little controversial is should you drink alcohol the night after a marathon? You know, you just finish your goal race. Maybe you know you got a PR. You're celebrating. You want to celebrate with some, you know, champagne or a beer or whatever. But we know that alcohol is really bad for us, especially as athletes. So what what are your thoughts about that, Megan? So I I got to be honest. I think it really, like, it's always sounds like, oh, we're going to, like, go out, celebrate all these months of hard work. But it really, really impairs your recovery so much. Like, the past, like, couple training cycles – I, we haven't been like, not even like glass of wine, drinking anything and your recovery, like the recovery time is so much, so much faster. Like even after the, like, if you have like a couple of drinks after the marathon, I mean, just think like, like I said before, like you're essentially giving your body the, what it needs to recover from giving you its, its all. And if you're giving it like these empty calories that actually like depletes you of more electrolytes, like that's, it's for sure going to affect, um, affect your recovery. You're going to feel worse the next day, even the next couple of days, I think. So, oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, we've definitely done like, um, like marathons in the past where like the whole team goes and gets like a celebratory drink, champagne, something. Uh, but the last like couple races I did, we didn't do that, and my recovery has been so much faster. <laughs> That's so very it interesting, be, and it could makes be different sense. Factors, yeah, but <laughs> yeah. Um, I was reading an interesting article that Stacy Sims wrote about this topic, and of course, alcohol increases systemic inflammation, but it also reduces your ability to um, convert carbohydrates into glycogen stores. So you're actually further impeding your ability to recover after a big race or even after a big workout. But one thing she wrote that I found really interesting was that if you consume alcohol with protein, it does you do not get as much of an effect on your ability to replenish your glycogen stores. So I guess the take-home message for me at least, is if you are going to drink after a race or a big workout, make sure you do it with protein so that it doesn't affect your glycogen stores as much. But I'm also with you, (laughs) Megan. 
I wouldn't, I don't drink after races because it's like a race is like the hardest workout you're doing all year. You want to reap all the benefits from that. You don't want to blunt your building back up response because you had to have that glass or two of wine. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like it's just um, like going back to like the thanking your body kind of thing, like whatever you give it and I feel like it's kind of like a slap in the face to your body. It's like, you yeah. just, I just gave you all this and you're giving me this crap. Like, what? <laughs> but especially the day of, um, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. So, you know, after you have your dinner, of course, make sure that you get some sleep. You might be really tired. You might be super amped up because you had a really great race or you had a bad race. So you can't fall asleep because you're thinking about it, but just, you know, try to sleep. Hopefully you don't have to get up too early the next day. So then the day after your marathon, what do you focus on, Megan? What do you tell your athletes to focus on? Um, I usually tell my athletes to focus on at some point, get like a walk in, move a little bit. Like you don't have to do any, you don't have to bike, obviously don't run. Um, but just move and stretch, foam roll, do what you can to try to loosen up the body, kind of break up any tightnesses, sorenesses, um, continue to focus on eating a lot, um, good hydration. Um, <clears throat> and then I'll even tell my athletes to like, usually I like to journal or I'll have my athletes journal, um, but reflect on the race while it's still fresh in your mind. Um, because a week, two weeks, a month down the line, your view on the race is going to be totally different. Like, I mean, I know I've been in this position, probably every runner has, like, you look back on a marathon a month later, you're like, oh yeah, that was easy. Like, I definitely could have pushed myself more, but in the moment you're like, you're feeling like you're, you're pushing yourself to your limit. So trying to write all of those feelings down so you can look back and it helps to reflect in going forward into the next, uh, the next training cycle. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I do the same thing, like same day or next day, just write down all the things I thought I did well, all the things I thought I could improve on for next time. And then like when I go back and read that, you know, a few months later, it's like, wow, this is like the most honest, like self evaluation I do. And it's because it's so fresh in your mind. But yeah, it's amazing. Like even a couple days later, how you think about how your race went definitely oh, yeah. <laughs> changes and you forget all of the parts that were really hard and you think, oh yeah, next time I could definitely, you know, run 10 seconds a mile faster. Even though like if you had asked yourself that question when you cross the finish line, it would be like, yeah, absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> this is what I got today. <laughs> yep. That's so true though. <laughs> It's like um, writing down those like raw feelings, like before you have a chance to like filter them, I right. think is yeah. like, like looking back in the next training cycle and be like, oh yeah, I thought this during the race, like let's work on, even if it was something like mental, like let's work on like my mental strength at this point in the workout or let's focus like, I, okay, I know I felt like this uh, during a race, like in the next race, my goal is going to be to not let these like negative thoughts come in or to fight them or to work on like combating like negativity or something. Right. And sometimes like, I know this happens to me and I'm sure it happens to a lot of people, but the things that you worry about leading up to a race end up not being the things that you should have been worrying about. And then during the race, it's like, oh crap, I should have practiced, you know, 
drinking out of a cup better, or I should have practiced taking the tangents better. But if you don't write down like what you were thinking about like during the race, you're, you might forget it and you might not think to practice those things that aren't directly like, oh, I need to do this type of workout or I need to, you know, work on this mental strategy when it's more of like a technique thing or like just a race experience thing. I think it's really important to get those thoughts down immediately. Yeah. And another thing going off that, like, I feel like, at least for me, I like, I like to visualize, but I usually like find myself just visualizing like the start line and then like the Mm -hmm. last point too, or like the last like 5k, (laughs) but like all of those, like the, the middle part, that's where you want to be focusing on. Cause that's where it's going to be like, that, that's where it's going to get challenging. Cause you have 40 K in the middle there that you need to work on. It's going to be hard throughout that. Um, but making sure like, even if a lot of the races have like course previews. So like what I've, what I'm going to try to do for my next one is go through the course preview, write down, or like kind of think about how I anticipate feeling at that point, like, okay, 10K in, like, yeah, you're going to feel a little, a little burned, but you should feel pretty strong still. And like, kind of go through like each, like, um, like checkpoint and be like, okay, it's all right to feel like this. Or right. I don't know, it just, I'm hoping it prepares a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like going in with a realistic expectation of how you're going to feel as opposed to like, oh, it's, I'm going to feel great. Cause I'm going to be, you know, recovered from the taper and, you know, it'll be hard the last few miles. No, it's like progressively gets harder the whole race. And like, you really have to like mentally prepare for like, it is kind of like being slowly boiled. Like that's how I feel a marathon is like, that's a really good way to put it. (laughs) It creeps up on you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like playing mind games, like you're okay. You're okay. I actually, so I worked with, I was talking to this, um, uh, I, I think she's like a sports psychologist, but she was talking about some techniques, um, that like, uh, my favorite one that like, just to help when it gets, um, challenging in the race, my favorite one, she was like, actually talk to like the muscles or any like, uh, warning signs from your body. Like if your quads start burning, be like, okay, quads, thanks. I know like I'm pushing you to the limit, but we're good. And like, or if you're breathing heavy, like thanks lungs for the warning. Like I know we're working hard but we're going to keep going. And just like, kind of like, uh, I think she called it like name it to tame it. Like, okay. Yeah. You're hurting. I get it. That's like our natural, uh, response when things are starting to get difficult. Like you want to shut down, just like accept it. Be like, okay, we're going to keep going. <laughs> I love that. That's yeah. great. That's great advice. Yeah. After she said that, I was like, I started using that in workouts. I was like, Oh, okay. This is pretty, it's kind of helpful. I guess the yeah. brain is a, the mind is a pretty powerful thing. So <laughs> Absolutely. (laughs) Um, Anything else for day after race um, that we haven't talked about already? I don't think so. I mean, going on to like recovery, I think we talked about this in one of our like previous podcasts, like some people um, like any like deep tissue or soft tissue work. I don't know if the day after would be my first choice. Um, Some people (laughs) do, but I usually don't want anyone touching my legs the day after. Yeah. Maybe the maybe the week after. <laughs> yeah. Or a few days. Yeah, I feel like at least three days after is when it's like gonna be most beneficial. Otherwise you're gonna be like too guarded to get the benefit from it. Yeah. 
So the next thing I wanted to talk about is what to do if you are traveling a long distance after a race, because there are some special considerations for that. Because anyone who's finished a marathon is actually technically at increased risk of a blood clot just because of the systemic inflammation that's been produced, dehydration, pooling of blood in your legs. But if you compound that with either being in a car, on a plane, train, whatever, for more than like three or four hours, then the risk definitely goes up. So um, the main things to focus on, one, I would highly recommend wearing compression socks. Um, I would wear the ones that are at least knee high. You could get the thigh high ones if you want. Uh, I haven't tried the full length compression tights. Have you tried those? I usually stick with the socks. They just, yeah, the tights, I cannot imagine that those would be what I would want to wear on like a long haul flight. <laughs> you want to be comfortable. Yeah, give me the socks and some sweats. We're good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so definitely compression socks. Um, whether you're on a plane, on a train, you want to get up and walk around as much as you can because movement, particularly getting your calf muscles to contract, increases circulation to your lower legs. If you're driving, obviously you can't get up and walk around, but you can move your legs, you can pump your ankles up and down, you can do some little marches, just anything to move your legs will be helpful. And then of course, try to stop every hour or two at a rest stop and just get up and walk around. Um, the other thing to consider is there are some other factors that can put people at increased risk of getting blood clots. And one of the big ones is being on hormonal, hormonal birth control. So if you are on hormonal birth control, you might just want to be extra cautious about these factors after a marathon. And maybe if you can, don't get on a 12-hour 12, 12 flight the same day or the day after a race. See if you can stay an extra day, move around, rehydrate before you get on that long flight. Megan, I know you've done a couple marathons that you've had to fly for. So what are your secrets or strategies for uh um, So definitely the compression socks. Um, I think that makes a huge difference. Even like after the race, like, so the last two years I did uh, CIM, so that's a long flight back. The one, the first year we stayed um, for a few days, went to San Francisco, so I was able to like kind of get that initial soreness out of the way. But last year we flew home, uh, we took the red eye that night, and that was probably one of the more difficult parts of the whole marathon experience there. Um, but I did make sure to, so yes, the compression socks, but I also, uh, paid a little extra just to have an aisle seat. Uh, I know some people pay extra to get first class. I didn't, I didn't do that. Maybe, maybe in the future, but, <laughs> um, the aisle seat I did because that gives me an opportunity for one to get up and walk around, like up and down the aisle, like while everyone was sleeping, I was like up moving. And each time I got up, it was like, I don't know if, if I stayed sitting for a little too long. I knew. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I need to like get up and move around. I can't like sleep this whole flight. And it also gives you the opportunity, like you're drinking a lot of fluids. So to get up, go to the bathroom and whatever. But, um, and that's another thing with, uh, flights. Usually I feel a lot more dehydrated, uh, from flying. I think it's cause like the change in pressure and, 
Um, I know there's some science behind it, um, but making sure, yeah, making sure like you have the refillable water bottles. So when you get through security that you can fill them up and you're, you're not waiting on, um, the flight attendants to bring you water in like a little cup, like you have two to three bottles with you. Um, I think that's also very important. Make sure you have snacks as well. Um, I'll usually, we'll usually pack like, uh, a whole box of like protein bars with us and just like stash them in different compartments of our uh, carry-ons. Um, so if you do get hungry, which is going to happen, like if you're traveling the day or two after you have something that has some nutritional value, uh, to eat instead of the pretzels or, uh, chocolate that they give you on, (laughs) on the planes. They're delicious, but you need some quality. <laughs> yes. And you might want like 10 bags of the pretzels, oh, which yeah. they may not be willing to give to you. Yeah. It's, there's like six pretzels in each and they're like the minis. Right. <laughs> like, that's not going to cut it. I need like an no. entire like family size bag. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and oh, peanut butter. We'll usually travel with uh, our own uh, peanut butter, like bring a little, uh, well, we bring an entire container for like it, that's up packed in the suitcase, but we also will get like the little Justin's like one serving size that's allowed with you on the plane. Um, so we'll have that too. <laughs> that's genius. I'm writing all of this down, Megan, <laughs> because I'm doing the Osaka Marathon in February. So I'm going to have a very long flight back. Fortunately, it will be two days after the marathon, but still. So, uh, how long's that flight? I think the way back, it's 12 hours. Do you have any layovers? Um, one, but that's before the 12-hour flight. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yes, get up, walk around. <laughs> maybe, maybe Send any tips my way. <laughs> that might be one. Maybe the first class is worth it. I don't know. <laughs> I am actually considering upgrading. Yeah. yeah. Especially the way home. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Um, So let's move on to what to do in the weeks after the race. So, of course, what you do is going to be dependent on what your next goals are, whether you finished this marathon without any injuries, how mentally and physically fatigued you are. But, of course, you're going to take some time off running. So I know for my athletes, depending on what their goals are, I usually recommend one to two weeks off of running. Is that about what you do, Megan? Yeah, yeah. I usually tell them like at least 10 days up to two weeks if you need longer. That's okay too. Um, But yeah, at least at least a week. Yeah. And the whole point of doing that is one, you've just spent months training your body to peak and You have to recover from all of that before you can start building back up for the next one. You can't just carry on indefinitely without seeing a drop in performance. Um, There was actually a really interesting article in the Journal of Sport Rehabilitation in 2019. They looked at runners' gait biomechanics in the days after completing a marathon. I think there were 17 subjects in the study. So they assess them before the marathon. So they had a baseline. And then they looked at changes in their center of mass at day two post-race and day seven. And they found some pretty significant changes in their center of mass mechanics on day two that they felt may result in greater greater, um, injury risk. And they found that these changes had improved by day seven. So 
I think that, and I mean, we all know that, right? Like, if you tried to go for a run, like, the day after a marathon, your running would not feel or look as smooth as perhaps it did before your marathon. But it's interesting to see that quantified. Um, So I think that just lends even greater credence to the importance of taking time off. And I think the other thing is, it's and like we talked about earlier, it's not just physical. It's about letting your mind recover. Like as your like marathon training fatigue builds, like we're going out for runs where we're tired, but we're doing the next one anyway. And that's good. That's actually what you want because that helps you deal with the high level of fatigue that you're going to have during the race. But you need to get your body and mind to reset so that you go out for a run and like, you feel awesome. And like your mind's like, yes, I want to run. Like I've missed this because I know that when I'm marathon training, sometimes I go out for a run and I'm like, is this done yet? And you know, so you often feel better as you get into it, but it can be kind of dragging to like start your runs that way. So it's good to get that mental reset too. Yeah. Like during that, like week to two weeks off, like let yourself miss it a little bit so that when you come back, like you have that refreshed feeling. You're not like, I don't, I don't want to say like you don't get to that point of burnout, but you give yourself a break. So you avoid any, um, any risks of that, any like risk of like the, like it boiling over into the next training cycle that like, you don't want to start a training cycle and be like, Oh God, I have this like hour easy run. I don't want to do it. Cause if you don't want to do it, it's going to show in your training too, but definitely in the middle of marathon training, there are some mornings like those early mornings when your alarm goes off and it's just like, wow, I really wish I could just sleep instead. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> like, man, I definitely and then you get up yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you have this like internal debate with yourself. Like, yeah, like sleep's important. You should really let yourself sleep. But if you don't do this workout, you're not going to get to do it today. So it's one or the other. <laughs> And yeah, I've, and certainly for me, like when you give yourself that refresh, you actually feel more motivated when your alarm goes off at four or five. Like I'm getting up because I want to do, you know, like this is my next goal and I'm working towards that. You don't, if you always feel like, oh, why am I getting, you know, like I'm too tired. I don't want to do this. Then it's okay for that to happen some of the time. But if that's how you feel all of the time, it might be a sign that you either need to take a little bit of a break or you need to rework your schedule so that you don't, like running isn't a drag. Yeah, Yeah, I know one thing I tell myself, like when that alarm goes off, it's like you have never regretted waking up and getting your work done early. (laughs) Right. So let's go. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And like also, so this past training cycle was my first one, in like a year. So if I ever had that like quick thought of like, oh God, I want to sleep. Like, well, there was a time that you would have given anything to just like get up and go for a run. So then like those like few things that that kind of worked to get me out of bed. Plus like for me, the the morning hours, like that, like four to 6am is like my favorite because there's nobody out really until like the end of the run. But like you could run in the middle of a street by me and nobody like nobody's gonna care. <laughs> <laughs> That's 
That's great. It's just quiet. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's so peaceful when you're like the only one outside, and like you kind of feel like you're oh, like a little bit of the crazy person outside yeah. <laughs> getting their workout in that early. <laughs> yeah, just us and the deer and fox and whatever. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <Not bad. laughs> um, other so besides taking time off running. It is good to still move a little. Like, I mean, none of us have time to just like lay on the couch for a week, but you still want to do like some short walks. For me, short, like super easy bike rides are helpful. Um, I've started those as early as like three days post marathon because, you know, I'm riding with a heart rate of like 90. You know, this isn't exercise that's actually like impacting my fitness at all. It's basically just moving my legs. And it's amazing what those like super easy short rides do for how my muscles feel. So I think what you do for light movement in the week or two after a marathon really depends what your body's accustomed to. You wouldn't want to like start riding a bike if you hadn't been doing that before. And similarly, like Going for short, easy walks doesn't mean go hiking up a mountain three days after a marathon. Like, it needs to be easy. It's just moving. It's not exercise. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think it also helps, like, I mean, as runners, you have a routine that's based around running. So, like, fill that time with a different kind of movement. Like, even if that means going to a gym that you belong to do some, some sort of like little strength work, nothing crazy, but something just to like give your body some sort of like a stimulus just because it's good for you. <laughs> um, yeah. I think is important too. I, I'm glad you brought up strength work. Um, I personally don't like, I hold off on any leg strength work for at least two weeks after a marathon, just because your muscle, your leg muscles are still building back up. So it doesn't really make sense to do something that, you know, creates micro tears in the goal of getting stronger. Like let your body recover from the marathon before adding in like that type of stimulus. But I think doing like core work, upper body work, even doing like balance or proprioceptive work, you know, like simple stuff on your MOBO board or on your BOSU, that's all good. But like nothing that creates soreness in your legs because you you really are still recovering recovering from the marathon even two or three weeks out. The other things that I recommend to people, you know, we already talked about massage, um, but if you had any aches and pains during your training block or something was hurting during your marathon, go see a physical therapist Or if it's something more serious, go see a doctor first and then, you know, get it addressed. Like, don't hope that it will just magically be gone when you start training again. It might be, maybe a little rest is all you need, but there might be some biomechanical factors that you need to work on to keep it from coming back. So you've got some free time because you're not running as much. So good time to fit in a few PT appointments, massage, whatever. But now is the time to make yourself better, like build back better. Um, So I definitely recommend that for people. And then also regarding food, like you're going to be hungry. Your body is going to think that you're still marathon training. And 
that's okay. Listen to your hunger. You're going to gain a little bit of weight during your recovery period, and that's okay. That weight is going to fuel your training in the next block. We can't all be at, you know, quote-unquote race weight for the entire year. That's not healthy. So you're going to gain a pound or two, and that's fine. But the most important thing is you're fueling and you keep eating. And I think there's, like, some science that like your metabolism still stays elevated even after you stop training for, I want to say it's, I think it's like another five days or I have to, I have to look back, but so your metabolism is still high. So you're still like even at rest burning a significantly higher amount of calories than, um, than say somebody that hadn't just trained for a random marathon. So that's also something to take into consideration when you get that, like, hunger, but you're like, what's going on? Because I haven't ran in five days. <laughs> why am I hungry? <laughs> but that's usually why. And you're still recovering. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a really good point too. Um, one thing that, you know, I think everybody worries a little bit like, okay, I don't want to like go into the recovery period and gain 10 pounds or whatever. And again, like weight is a personal issue. Some people everybody's needs are different. But one thing that I recommend to my coaching clients and something that I do is when you're in like the peak mileage period of training, you need to consume more calories. And you can do that a couple of ways, right? Like you can just increase the quantity of food you eat, but you can also rely on things like protein bars, protein drinks. And I find that if you use those like supplements, like a protein shake, to add in the additional calories you need when you're at your peak mileage, that helps your body not get used to eating such a large volume of food so that then when you go into like a recovery period or even a base period where you're training less, your body doesn't think that you need to eat like huge meals because you were getting those additional calories through like very high caloric density supplements. That's interesting. Cause then if you just remove, I like that. If you just remove like the supplement part, your meals stay the same and you don't really notice that much of a difference. That's, I like that. (laughs) Yeah. That was something I learned from cycling. (laughs) Cause you know, cyclists, you might go do a six hour ride and burn 3000 calories the amount of calories you need to take in to offset that are massive. The only time you're ever burning that many calories running is when you run a marathon and you're not running a marathon every weekend, but I would certainly do a six hour ride every weekend when I was bike racing. So you have to figure out how to get the calories you need without convincing your body that your like base caloric intake is you know, 5,000 calories a day. (laughs) And then I know this is not really related to the topic, but how many, like, would you um, calculate how many calories to bring with you on the bike to replenish that? Yeah. So (laughs) normally, like, normally on like a, let's say a zone two long ride. So six hours, you want to bring like 250 to 300 calories an hour with you in addition to what you're drinking. So, you know, cyclists have jersey pockets, so it's easy to put food back there. On a six-hour ride, though, I would need to stop at a gas station to get more fluid a few times. So then I might, you know, buy something at the gas station. I definitely knew which gas stations (laughs) in, like, 
Western Connecticut had good, you know, ride food versus the ones that only had like garbage. So I would try to stop there in the middle of my rides. Um, But yeah, if I started a six hour ride, my pockets would be weighed down with bars and gels and blocks. So it's, you're eating a lot on the bike, but it's so much easier to eat on the bike than running, of course. Yeah. Um, I think like the most important thing for people to remember for recovery periods is it's when you're recovering that you actually get stronger and reap the fitness benefits of training for and completing a marathon. So like you did all this hard work, like you've dedicated the past four or five months, if not longer, to preparing for this race, you did it. But now like when you're recovering is when you're actually going to get stronger and get a fitness bump. So if you mess up your recovery period, you actually potentially could be blunting the fitness gain from all of your hard work. Yeah, and that's true. And I think that also goes for like recovery days within the marathon training block or within any training block. Like just because you're not running that day doesn't mean you should eat horrible, like all this junk food. You shouldn't like use that as the night that you stay up late to get work done. Like that's what your body needs to recover and be ready for the next, the next training. I don't want to say block, but the next period that you go until you have your next recovery day or recovery week or what have you, but keep that in mind. Cause you know, you're going to have another training block. So make sure you're giving your body the time to refuel, recover, relax a little bit (laughs) um, before you get into the next block. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's one of the most common mistakes that I see people make is on their easy days, yeah, maybe they're not running, but they like decide to, you know, paint their house or like go out partying or just do something that is the opposite of recovery. So, and, you know, sometimes life gets in the way. Like most of us are not professional runners. We have obligations and sometimes our recovery days are the days we get other stuff done. But just, you know, whatever you have under your control, try to keep your easy days easy, not just regarding running, but regarding like all of your physical activity. Before we move on to base training, Megan, is there anything else you think we should talk about regarding like the initial post-marathon recovery period? I think, I mean, I think we kind of, we kind of touched on pretty much everything that I focus on. Um, I'll usually in that time start like writing up like a strength program, (laughs) like use the extra time that you have now before you start running again to perfect the things that you're not going to have time potentially to focus on or give the energy needed. So I'll usually write up my new strength program because I know, I know for me, if I don't, and it's so like, um, I don't know, but if I don't have this written down, the chances of it getting done are significantly lower. (laughs) So I'll usually come up with my whole like strength plan in that time as well. Yeah. It's so much easier to plan when your brain isn't being influenced by like the fatigue of being in the middle of a training block. Yeah. So let's talk about base training. So I'm, base training can mean 
a lot of different things. So what we're really talking about here is base training after a marathon. So, you know, let's say you've taken one to two weeks off of running. You're ready to get back to running. So how do you do it? So you might start out with maybe like 15 to 20 minutes of easy running and add five minutes each day, all at easy pace until you get to around 60 minutes. Again, this all depends on your next training goal, but that's kind of like a rough guide of what I use with my athletes. What do you use, Megan? I do something pretty similar. Like the first, those first couple of runs, I call them like the check-in, like, like make sure, cause you could, you could finish a race and kind of forget like things that were bothering you during the race or in the training cycle. But if you're feeling okay after a marathon, I call those first couple runs that check in, like make sure everything actually does feel good, that you're not kind of ignoring or um, haven't noticed any nagging injuries or any sorenesses that are still lingering. And if there are any sorenesses or aches to address them, um, and to maybe even take a little more time off, go see a PT, doctor, whatever is necessary. Um, but yeah, like to refer to those first couple runs as like the check-in with the body. <laughs> um, yes. And then like what you said, like work, like build up the easy runs up to, I even say like 45 to 60 minutes of just like feeling good, feel comfortable. Um, and then I'll usually have people wait at least like two weeks to even like start doing strides and not even think about a workout for those first couple of weeks, like just get back into a routine, um, get your body used to training again. There's going to be the initial like regular sorenesses after uh, you take a little time off. Um, but yeah, then first workout, I would say like probably three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. And like the first workout being like either just strides or like short tempo, nothing, nothing getting remotely close to what you were doing in the month or two before the marathon. I like, I like the 10 by one minute on one minute off workout. Mm-hmm. Like you can make that as easy or hard as you want. You can start off at like whatever effort, like it could be like slower than marathon effort, but it's only for a minute. So you kind of feel things out, get the legs moving they're almost like glorified strides. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that workout too. Yeah. And you know, one thing that I've noticed every time I've taken some time off, whether if it's after a marathon or just at the end of a race season is my first couple of runs, like you think you're going to feel like so springy and awesome, like a unicorn riding on rainbows. <laughs> and I never do. <laughs> like it always no. just feels so awkward and like have I ever run not not that bad but it doesn't feel great like it's not like the joyful experience that you're imagining so it's I just don't expect that anymore no no it's like uh, baby deer, baby giraffe is what I've heard. Yep. <laughs> kind of, like, for some reason, I just feel like so uncoordinated that first run back. And like, you don't know, or at least I don't know what to do with my arms. It's like, what's going on? <laughs> it is. And it I is think funny. part of that is the change that occurs in muscle tension when you take time off or even when like you decrease the intensity of your training. So when you've taken you know, one or two weeks completely off, your muscle tension is going to drop. And that's what leads to that like baby deer feeling for sure. (laughs) 
Um, so other things that I really focus on with myself and my athletes is like, you're going to be really tempted to run faster than easy pace, or you're going to be tempted to run longer than what's prescribed. Cause either, you know, you feel like you feel like a sloth cause you took two weeks off or you had a bad race and you want to prove that like the next one's going to be better. Ruining the beginning of your base period is going to affect the entire training block because it starts you off with too much fatigue. So if you have a coach, listen to what your coach tells you. If you don't have a coach, you shouldn't be running really fast the first couple weeks after your off-season. And you shouldn't be doing any real workouts for the first couple weeks. And as you like start to add in workouts, it needs to be gradual. So you can never rush progress. Like people love to talk about like hacking your way to, you know, a marathon PR. That doesn't work. It's just about being patient and consistency. So stick to the plan and you will see dividends from that. Yeah, and even like what you said, like after a bad race and starting back up again, and like trying to prove, like prove something that you're better than that previous outcome. Like that's just, it's so counterproductive to the point that you're actually setting yourself up for even worse of a race. Like you're setting yourself up for injury, for not recovering, for not letting those quality days be high quality. It's actually worse. And you're only, you're only hurting yourself if you're pushing too hard at the start of a training block. Right. Yeah. And the other things that I think the base period is good for is if you want to try a new pair of shoes, you've got a bunch of short, easy runs, so the stakes are really low there. If you want to test different gels or a different electrolyte drink, or if you want to try running with a hydration vest or you know a different fuel belt, this is the best time to try. You're not going to ruin a workout if you hate it. You know, if you don't like the shoes, you're going to be back home pretty quickly. So now is the time to try new things. Um, You don't want to be too radical in what you try, of course, because you still have to, like, if you're going to introduce a new pair of shoes, you need to introduce those slowly. Same thing with nutrition. But the base period is the best time to experiment with stuff like that. I'll even throw in, like, if there's things with, like, form that you know you need to work on, focus on that for the shorter, easy runs because... You know, you're only going to be out there for a little bit and it's not like you have to worry about, excuse me, like you have to worry about um, like affecting a workout splits, anything like that. Like you're only out there and you just focus on, okay, I know my arms get all crazy when I get tired. Let's try to like really hone in on that and keep them in a good spot. Or I know I overstride when you get to this point, like let's focus on that, see what this feels versus this and just kind of play around with things that you know in the pre, in your previous running or if you've ever had a gait analysis what you were told to work on start focusing on that yeah that's great um something that I do every time I start a base period is I put my super shoes away one I don't use super shoes for easy runs but like even when I start doing like shorter easier workouts I try to use you know lower stack more flexible shoes like it's just nice to take a break from them and let my foot intrinsics work a little bit more. Of course, you know, when I'm in the middle of marathon training, I do 
my long runs and some of my workouts in super shoes because it's good to, one, make sure they're comfortable, but two, get your body used to performing with the biomechanics that those shoes may promote. But during the base phase, there's no reason to use super shoes. So just put them aside, work on uh, letting your body do the work rather than the shoe. Um, let's see. So I think we hit on, you know, once you're ready to add in workouts again, strides and like easier, shorter intervals are what we both add in. Um, I think another thing that people forget, and I've noticed that even some coaches don't seem to pay attention to, is that whatever your training paces were leading into the marathon are probably not going to be your training paces right when you start your base period. You took a couple weeks off, you've lost some fitness, and that's the point of a recovery period is to let your fitness come down a little bit so that when you build back up, it can build back even higher than it was before. So if you think that your threshold pace is X, but in reality, it's 15 seconds per mile slower than that, you are setting yourself up for a lot of frustration and an injury if you keep trying to do your workouts at your old training paces. So what I recommend to people is either you run your workouts by feel at first until you figure out what your new training paces are, or as you get further into your base period and you have added in some intensity, you could do like a two kilometer time trial and that can help you set your training paces, but you definitely wouldn't want to do a two kilometer time trial you know, a month after your marathon because your body isn't prepared for that. So I think the best thing you can do is just run by feel initially. Yeah, that's what I usually have people do too. I'll just give them like an effort, like imagine either you're running like a 10K or if you were to do a half marathon today, like trust your body on the effort or give them like a number on the RPE scale from zero to 10 and be like, okay, I'm working an eight out of 10. That's way too hard to be doing this first tempo. Um, but like, trusting that and like letting your body figure out those paces again. Cause after, I mean, after you do a few training blocks, like, you know, what different workouts are supposed to feel like. So if you're honest with yourself and you're like trying to hit your previous, like what you were at the end of your training cycle and you're trying to hit that pace and you check in with yourself and you're like, I know this is feeling way harder than it should <laughs> and kind of like backing off. But I think that that also comes like, and like listen to your coach too, but like that kind of comes with experience and more training blocks under your belt. Like I think as, as you go, like, you know how to listen to your body. Like you can take a message if something is feeling a lot harder than it should. Um, but yeah, I think like those first like few workouts, even like just use that RP scale, trust your body, trust the effort. And like the paces will come back. The fitness will come back. Yeah. And don't look at your watch too much. Cause if slower numbers than you expect are going to freak you out, just don't look. Run by feel. Yeah, the, the fitness definitely will come back if you listen to your body and be patient. Now, as far as how long the base phase is going to last, it really depends on what your next racing goal is. Personally, I don't think that anyone should try to do a race post-marathon Let's say, you know, you did your marathon, you're happy with how it went, you're committed to doing like a real off season and then build back up. You're not really going to be ready to do 
any type of race, I would say for about eight weeks. I mean, you could race, but it's just, it's not going to feel great. And you're certainly not going to be happy with your performance. So, you know, pick your, pick your next goal races in such a way that you're not setting yourself up for failure or disappointment because you're trying to race too soon after a marathon. Yeah. <clears throat> like give yourself the chance to get back up to a level that you'd be okay with racing. So like, I think that eight weeks, two months is probably the, I'd say that would probably be the lower limit. Like yeah. where you're kind of feeling good again, you're back into a routine, you're back into like workouts. Um, yeah, I'd say the eight weeks at least. And of course there are exceptions. I was trying to remember who it was last year who a female who was trying to Olympic trials qualify and I, you know, saw a post about her on Instagram and she ran three marathons within like a six week span. And on the third try, she got a sub 237, which was amazing. So, but I mean, that's probably like the exception as opposed to like what everybody should strive for. Of course, she's obviously a highly trained elite athlete. She's probably got years and years of very high mileage weeks in her legs, but People can surprise you. Your body can surprise you. So, you know, for each individual circumstance, talk to your coach, you know, really figure out what's possible for you. Do you have anything else about base training that we haven't talked about yet? I guess going off what we were just talking about. So if you're like, it also like, uh, depending on what your next race is, like if you're going from a marathon to trying to race a 5k, it's going to take a little bit more time to get your speed back. So even like allow for a little bit longer, unless you want to do a 5k as like just a reminder of what they feel like, <laughs> but lower your expectations time-wise usually. I mean, your strength is going to be there from marathon training, but the speed does take some time to come back. Um, I think that you should probably give another month to expect like to be in PR shape for a 5k, depending what your PRs are. But yeah, I think that's another thing that should be uh, <laughs> that should be considered. Like, or if you if you want to like, some people want to go from the marathon to the mile, and that's that's tough to get that speed back. That's going to take oh, a yeah. lot of workouts. But um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. And you know, so many people use like those race predictor charts, and those race predictors are most accurate for distances that are close to the race that you you know, the time you're using. So like if you enter your 5k time, those race predictors are going to be most accurate for like a 10k or like a two mile race. But your 5k time is actually not a great predictor of your marathon time and vice versa. Your marathon time is definitely not a great predictor of like the 5k time or the mile time you could be using. And what your watch tells you, like the race predictor on your watch it says some very interesting things. Sometimes my watch believes in me a lot more than I do. And sometimes <laughs> my watch is very insulting. <laughs> like, I wish I could run those times it's telling me I could. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so take your watch is giving you those predicted race times based on its estimate of your VO2 max. And your watch is not very good at estimating your VO2 max. So definitely take anything that Garmin Connect or Koros is telling you with 
a big teaspoon of salt. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, we've covered a lot today. And if anyone has any other questions about post-marathon recovery, base training, just training in general, please leave it in the comments or send us an email. It's doctorsofrunning at gmail.com. Megan, thanks so much for joining me today. This was fun. Yes, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's always great to do an episode with you. Um, I hope you have a great rest of your Sunday and happy recovery to all that are recovering and happy training to all who are training. Thank you.